Good morning again. We're going to get ready to get into God's word so we can continue to taste and see. And so that taste is coming from his word, y'all. You know that, right? And that we experience what he says in his word. We experience and we put our trust in what he says. We're shifting from our series in the kingdom uh, on the characteristics of the kingdom for today and for next week as we really want to share and be able to look at the scriptures um, in Matthew as well that speaks about what was happening in this week that we call Passion Week. And of course, this being the beginning of it, culmination being next week when the world would change, when everything would change. I want you to remember this, and I know it may sound cliche, but it's not. I I want you to hear this. Jesus changes everything, but also Jesus changed everything. See, understand that when that resurrection happened, here it was. You have to understand this small, and I've shared this before, we were were on a trip on vacation with some friends in Rome when we lived over in Europe, and, and, and we were trying to find something to keep the kids busy because we had wanted to do all the, all the tour in these different places. And frankly, it was boring the life out of them, all the sights that we were seeing. And so my wife and the wife of the other group that we were with thought about, let's do something fun. And so we found this down one of them side streets. We found this kind of fun, mm, kid-level, you know, roller coaster type thing. It was more like a 3D type of show that was given this history of Rome. And so we went in, and it was fun. You know, you sat in the seat, it acted like you were moving, you know, and all this, and up, down, and up. But they were, they were giving you this history of Rome. But this is one part that I'll never forget that they said. And they were talking about all the history, and some of it, of course, mythical, um, some of it not. But then they said, here's what he said, and in a small outpost in the Roman kingdom in the Roman Empire. He says there started something small that this, this is what the, this wasn't a Christian thing at all. It said this Jewish itinerant preacher began talking about God and he became so popular and he grew in popularity and it ended up growing so big that they killed him and they said, and his followers continue. And he said, and that was the birth of Christianity. I said, well, you got part of the story right. <laughs> yeah, part of it right. But here it was. They were recognizing that something that seemed so inconsequential and small turned into something. And he said, that changed the world. Now, now, now this is what the narrator of this little you know, cheap ride said as we were trying to find something fun to do to learn about Roman history, but they recognized that God was doing something that started as his little seed, although he had it planned from days ago. And when Jesus came, not only did he talk about them, we 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 gauge time by him. Either before him or 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 the year of our Lord. We talk about him. We have people that have died for him. We have people that have given up everything because of what he has given up for them. Jesus changed everything, and Jesus changes everything. 
And I want us to remember that as we start this week out. I was sitting there amazed, and you know me, the little preacher in me was like, okay, that's a lifelong illustration right there. And my wife is sitting there going, he remembers that? I can see your face. He remembers that? Yes, I do. <laughs> I remember that because I just said, if, if this group, whoever they are, can recognize what started small, ended up in something that would change. We even saw it in Scripture when he talked about the early disciples, the apostles. These are the men that have turned the world upside down. Sure they have. And we see beginning here. And so when we look at that, can I ask you to stand? We're going to read Matthew chapter 21. The bulletin says 527, but it's not. It's actually 11. I'm sorry, 21 verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read it together. You want to turn in your scripture, you can. If not, you can read the centerfold in your bulletin. And let's read together. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? The crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I pray that our eyes and our ears would be attentive and open and our hearts would be ready to receive your word as seed that it could germinate and grow. Help us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. See, you guys know that we could all be at a particular event and can read that thing totally differently. We could see something happen and we get something out of it, something different. And and, and regardless of what was intended, we can all show up at an event. We can all be at something and We respond differently because we've seen something different. And I want you to hear that this morning is that we're going to look at what God had planned in this triumphal entry. But we're going to also look at what man thought was happening or how man responded to what was happening. So here's what we're going to say. In this this triumphal entry, you will see what God intended And you will see what man thought was happening. And in that, I want us to understand 
how we come to get to understand what God is doing and drop our expectations and our plans for what we think should be happening. Because a lot of what we do in life, and even the reason why this crowd, as we'll see here in the beginning, was singing his praise and was, and was recognizing him with messianic shouts. What they were saying, Jewish people were clear. They understood that these were things that were related to Jesus being the Messiah. And yet they still didn't fully understand what they were saying. And that by the end of the week, when they were saying save, Hosanna means save, help, save us, deliver us. By the end of the week, they were saying, crucify him. How does a crowd go from wanting you to be the Savior to wanting you to be gone? And wanting you to be dead? When someone comes up and says, crucify him, today I know we usually mean, hey, give him, give him something tough. We, we usually don't mean nail him up on the cross. When someone says, man, that person crucified me, I say, well, actually, they didn't because you're still standing here in front of me. Had they crucified you, you wouldn't be here. And I know we use that as a figure of speech. But understand that in their hearts, they had gone from Savior to please, can we slay you? And what on earth would cause a group to do that? We're going to look at, actually, some of the different responses of the different groups as we get on down. We're going to look at the response of the disciples. We're going to look at the response of the crowd, because the crowd plays a big part in this narrative. The crowd plays a big part as we go through the Gospels. You always hear the crowd referred to. And, and, and humanity, just normal people every day. And we talk about the crowd, but then we want to see the response of the Pharisees. And that was the religious elite. Those people that should have known better, but getting, couldn't have any worse of a clue. And ultimately, we want to ask some questions that would lead to this. My title for today. What were they expecting when Jesus arrived? What were they expecting when Jesus arrived? And I'll ask you, what are you expecting from Jesus? So let's jump on in. First thing we see is that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. The scripture, Luke 9.51. Luke 9.51. You can turn it if you want. But it talks about specifically Jesus setting his face toward Jerusalem. Now, now, now that sets the context because from in, 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 in Luke's gospel, in Luke's writing, that set the tone that after that point, at that point, everything that you are, were, were reading from Luke was pointed towards and leading towards the cross, which would be in Jerusalem. And when the scripture says that he set his face to go to Jerusalem, it means that he was intentionally set on his mission from God that it would end in Jerusalem and his death on the cross. He knew it. And as you read through all that, he is progressing toward, physically, he's progressing toward Jerusalem. Spiritually, he is progressing towards our salvation. 
through his death and ultimately his sacrifice. I was saying to our group this morning as we were praying, hey, when we know that we have to do something and it's going to be tough, it's going to bring some sacrifice and it may bring some pain. Boy, our stomachs are all turned up. We are we are kind of in a mess. And, 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 and when we know we have to do something or when we have to go through something, if any of you have had surgery before, when you have to, as that day is approaching, you are in a different frame of mind. And I was like, I was wondering what on earth was going through the mind of Christ. When I know this one, his will was to accomplish what his father had wanted to do. That was his food, rather, was to accomplish his father's will. It was, it was, it was, it was um, um, nutritious to him. It was that which would sustain him as doing his father's will. But also, we knew that he was intent on accomplishing what God had, why God had sent him. And so understand, he said, he set his face toward Jerusalem. And, and, and he intentionally met with whatever would come, knowing that he has to get there. See, you and I, I don't know about you, but if I knew what was coming as I approached Jerusalem, Jerusalem wouldn't have seen me. That's why God sent Jesus and not me and not you. I'm going to tell you right now. If, if, if you knew all that would happen, if, if you could see in the future and you knew that when you got there, that they would be shouting your name for a minute and then it would turn and then everyone in the city would want you dead and then they would accomplish it, you would be going like Jonah the other way. And it shows the love and the intent and here there's the full knowledge Someone have you believe that Jesus was caught off guard and somehow he didn't intend to be killed because that's how it looked. I'm like, Jesus knew full well what was happening and knew what would end. And so he set his face. He was determined to accomplish what his father had planned. Here's the deal, too. He was focused because his popularity would not distract him. See, for some of us, as God gives success and we become popular and, and, and we become successful, it almost becomes a distraction for what God is trying to do in our lives. And we understand this, that as we see here, that, that, that his popularity now had increased so much after the death of Lazarus. You raise someone from the dead and every someone starts to know it and find out how popular you are. Because it says that as you look in Luke, People were coming to see him. People were coming out to see who he was because they had heard. They had heard. I mean, sorry, John's gospel. They had heard about Lazarus. But what did they hear about him? They heard that this Jesus, this prophet, they thought, raised this man from the dead. And here is the thing. When was the last time they heard someone being raised from the dead? They said, that's. That's, that's like Old Testament, like back in the day when the prophets were around. That's like, that's like Elijah stuff. And now it happened in their time. And so they wanted, they said, the scripture says in, in John, they didn't just want to see Jesus. They wanted to see Lazarus. What would they say? They wanted to see if this was real. Really, this dude raised someone from the dead? Really? 
And so they came out to see. And so his popularity had increased, although people wanted to see him for different reasons. And now as we get, as we approach Jerusalem, now he begins to intentionally display uh, some of who he is, and he begins to fulfill the prophecies about him. And here's, what it was, here's what's going to happen with it. He knew that everyone would miss it at that moment. I want you guys to understand this. This is what I like. Jesus knew that no one would understand what was going on fully at that moment. But he did understand that after he was resurrected, that they would look back and put the pieces together and go, oh. And for some of us today, that's what God, God knows sometimes when he's doing some things for you and I, boy, that it's going to go completely over our head. We're going to miss it. And that there are going to be some things that have to happen and we turn around and go, oh, come on. I, I, I know you've done that. Some things have happened in your life, and you are asking God, why, Lord, I don't know why you let that happen, and oh my gosh, <clears throat> I know you would let that, you know, uh, why would this have to happen to me? And you get a few years down the line, and you look back, and you go, okay, now I get it. I had to go that way. I look back on some things that have happened for me, and some of the things that God has allowed to go on, and, and, and some of the things that he did and some of the things that he withheld his hand from me for and, and some of the situations that I wish he hadn't brought me through. And then I get on the other side and I get some maturity behind it. And I look back and I say, I see it. I see it. Understand Jesus knew that everyone would miss it. And it brought some sadness to his heart too. And we'll see that in a moment. But he also understood that they would get it later. And I would tell you today, too, don't be too disappointed if some of the things that you are trying to share with people, teach them, get across to them about who Jesus is, that, that they don't get it right away, that somehow it just doesn't connect. I was like, give it to God knows how to connect the dots. God knows how to bring about some suffering God knows how to distance sometimes. God knows how to let life happen. God knows how to let you have your own way sometimes so that you get to the point where you go, I see what you are doing, Lord. And it draws you closer and it draws you in. And that's what he was doing here. And so we see that. So now Jesus gets in and he understands Jesus' triumphal entry is God's plan. What he intends is his plan. It is a message, as I said, that would be understood after the resurrection, but it is a fulfillment of messianic prophecies. When he says, as we go on down in chapter 21, verse 4 says, this took place, as he begins to come in, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, Humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That is Zechariah 9.9 that they're actually quoting. And that prophecy is being fulfilled right there in their eyes. And it is messianic in its proclamation. They're saying, your Messiah is coming. And Jesus set the stage such, not to kind of get some cheap praise, 
so he sets the stage. No, he's not manipulating the stage. What he is doing is he is giving these he is giving these clues and these hints, and he's letting them know because he knows they're not thinking about it right now. There's too much hoopla going on. But when they settle down and think about it, they'll go, yo, they, they, didn't they quote Zechariah when they said that? Yes, they did. And Okay, when he came in on the donkey, because I'll tell you right now, when he sent those two disciples of his to go get the donkey, that scene would have scared any of us. <clears throat> you get to a town that you don't live in, and it says when you get in town, I mean, when you get into town, you go and see this donkey, two of them tied. You're going to see the mother, and you're going to see the little child of the mother sitting there. I want you to untie them. You and I both know, hold on a second, I don't live here. That's not my donkey. Why do I know that Jesus knows that it's a concern for them? What does he say? And if anyone says anything to you, why, why even say that? Because there's a possibility. You walk up and start untying someone's donkey. Okay, today, because we don't ride on donkeys, and understand back then that donkey would be used for farming, that donkey would be used because it was an agricultural society, that donkey was part of their, I mean, what they lived from and on. It, it, it's what made the money. Some scholars actually think, too, that because of where it was tied up, it might have belonged to the community. Because sometimes the community was so poor that one person couldn't own a donkey. And so they shared the donkey. And so when the donkey was tied up, and as the donkey was there, when they came to untie it, they're like, yo, you're taking our livelihood. That's like walking up to an agricultural farm community, getting on the tractor, and start driving it away, and it's not yours. What do you think someone's going to say? Today, it might be, you know, hey, Jesus, be a fence, because it might not be just asking me what. There might, be some, there might be some equipment that they have as they ask me that question. See, but here's the issue. They came up, and he said, if anyone says anything, here's what you say. I love this. I love how Jesus knows that he's prepping this whole situation, and he knows what may and can happen. Actually, he knows what would happen. He knew that someone would say something, but he didn't want to scare them, I believe. You know, now, someone's going to say something to you. And so when they do, it be like, what? Someone's going to say something. What are they going to say? And he says, if anyone says anything, here's what you say. And I love that because they could have chosen to say something else. He could have come and said, hey, uh, 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 what you doing with that donkey? Well, um, um, you know, um, we, we need this, and, and it's for a good cause. She said, I ain't tell you to say that. I've given you the words to say. I like this. When you go out on mission for Jesus, I love this. Think about this. He gives you what to say. Some of us are so busy saying everything else but the words of God, and we wonder why. Things break out the way they do. God said, I, I, here, for us today, share the gospel. We share everything else. We talk about how good we are. We talk about the success we've had. We talk about everything. God, share me. And so he gets here. He says, tell them the Lord has need of it. Now, yeah, this guy has already known. Whoever was the one that they spoke with knew of the Lord. 
and knew that once what was being said was said, he would release it, no questions asked. I love the commitment on both parts. I love the commitment of the disciples that they did exactly as Jesus said. They didn't, they didn't add any words. They didn't do anything different. They did exactly what he said. But I also like the fact that the guy that was spoken to released it without any questions. That Both of them at that moment were trusting in the character of God. I love that. Both of them were. And it's an example for you and I. One said, here's what the Lord has said. And they said, okay, the Lord would say that. I know he has set that up. He did want me to do that. And for them to release it, now they were going to get him back. But for him to release that donkey, knowing that that donkey provided something economic for them, it was a sacrifice. They didn't just have spare animals laying around just in case someone wanted to come up and ask, can I use your donkey? This animal was part of their livelihood, and they sacrificed and gave that. Why? Because the Lord has need of it. Can I ask you a question today? Can God ask you and I, can I use what I've allowed you to have because I have need of it? Can Can I ask you to sacrifice some? Can you maybe lose out on some money and some work because of what I've called you to do? Because you know that's probably what happened. If he's riding the donkey in the town, the donkey's not in the field. Can the Lord come to you and I and say, here is what I desire of you. Here is what I want of you. And it's going to cost you something. And the minute we go, the minute Jesus says it's going to cost you something, we go, oh, come on, Lord. Oh, my gosh. How can you ask that of me? It's like that child that you buy some food for and you ask for a bite. I had to bring it home. You ask for some and they go, and you go. Child, I bought that. Give me a piece. I've done that before. My mother's bought something and said, can I have a piece? And I'm like, this? But you know what? God has provided it. And he turns around and says, let me use some of that for what I have need of. And you go, this? Oh, come on, Lord. How, how, how I'm going Get my bills taken care of. How, how, how? I'm a, God says, didn't I provide this for you? You act like this is all I had. Or we want to tell the Lord, since you provided, why don't you go get your own? <laughs> I hope we're not that crazy. But some of us, we act that way. If God has need of it, will you provide it? I'm going to tell you, in the days to come, God is going to ask some of us here, I have need of that, and that can be your talent. It can be a skill. It can be your time. It can be your money. It can be your influence. It can be giving up some of your success. God says, I have need of what you have because what you have came from me. And I hope our response, I hope my response is, yes, he let it go. And so as he let it go, the, 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 the stage is set, 
and he comes riding in, and they quote Zechariah and understand that he said he comes, here comes your king coming in humble and on a donkey. Now, there are two symbols there. That, that, when he says coming in humble and on a donkey. Now, we understand that some of you may, back in that time when kings rode in, they can ride in one of two ways. Usually, they rode in on a horse. And that horse symbolized victory in war. That, ho- that, that horse symbolized strength. That horse symbolized that they rule and they, they rule with an iron hand. Strength, victory, success. That's what kings would ride in and would have a procession as they come in. That's what most of your kings would come in on. Sometimes, though, they would. In times of peace, kings would come in on donkeys. And as they came in, what they were saying is this is a time of peace. I'm not coming for war. I'm not even celebrating a victory over war. I'm coming in peaceful. Well, there were two things when Jesus came in on that donkey. Two things. One, it says he came in humble. Kings don't come in humble. They don't. They come in displaying their royalty and their regalness. They don't come in humble. Jesus came in not showcasing his strength. If he did, that parade would have looked a whole lot different. Let me give you a little bit of setting. If he came in as he was as king and he rode in, well, let's kind of look into the future. When we look at Revelation, when he comes riding on the horse, when he comes with the whole army of angels, If he showed up, that village couldn't handle him. Jerusalem couldn't handle it. If he rode in as he was, with legion of angels, everyone would have run. Jesus didn't come in displaying who he was. He came in humble knowing what he needed to do. And he came in humble, and he said, on a donkey. Two things with donkey. He came in bringing... He came in being at peace. He wasn't at war, and he had good reason to be at war. Look at these jokers that were putting themselves against him. Look at these people that were standing up arrogantly, not even realizing that their creator in the flesh was right in front of them. And he walks, I mean, and he rides in at peace, but he also rides in bringing peace. Why? Because what he knew he was about to do was the only way to have peace between man and God. And so he came in at peace and bringing peace with them. And so he rides in. He understands what's happening. Let me ask you this. Do you see and understand God's plan to unite us to him and to unite others to him? It's unconventional sometimes, and it is countercultural. But do you see? Can you see past all the hoopla and the event? Can you see down to what God is really doing? Oh, you caught up in what everyone else is caught up in. So we see Jesus' triumphal entry, God's plan. As we come down to the end, I want us to see man's treacherous expectations. Understand this, their expectations is what tempers and changes their whole mindset later in the week. See, understand, Jesus knew this was God's plan to give you a glimpse 
of your king who came to save you. But instead, man's response was something totally different. Let's look at the crowds. So it says that the crowd shouted Hosanna. There were those in front and behind. So they were surrounding him. Part of that crowd were the people. If you read some of the other um, gospels, part of that crowd were the group that had come from coming to see him after raising Lazarus from the dead. So you know they were hollering and screaming. Yeah, this is Jesus. And they came in and excited, as any of us would be, at the power that was demonstrated. And I could just think they were like, our deliverer is here. Rome, you are on notice. Because they wanted Jesus to overcome their oppressor. Those that had oppressed them, now they had a physical deliverer. Part of the problem they had and part of the reason why the disciples were so disillusioned later, they thought that they had found their conqueror. Jesus was going to manhandle the Romans. Hey, if he can raise someone from the dead, hey, he can clear the room. And our deliverer is here. The only problem was the deliverance wasn't coming the way they thought. Here's what I want you to get. They wanted someone that would come in and change everything. But they didn't want someone that would come in and change them. See, you and I, we want Jesus to change. Jesus, get him. Change the environment. We do that in every sphere. We do it in our houses. Something is acting up, Lord, my child, change him. And although that may need to happen God's looking at you and talking about it, and what about you? Lord, my spouse, change her. Change him. God's looking at you like, yeah, I, I will, but I want to change you as well. We look at that situation and, well, Lord, I'm tired of these people at work. Change him. God is like, I'm working on that because I'm changing you. See, the issue was the problem that everyone had is that they didn't want a Messiah, a Savior, that would come and change their hearts. They wanted one that would change their situation because they didn't see themselves as that bad. I'm not that bad. Change everyone else. And God says, no, I came to change you. I came to change your heart. The way you change a kingdom, God says, is through the hearts of those kingdom's citizens. And he's not saying that he doesn't deal with the oppression. The greater, the ultimate thing that we as believers and those as followers of Christ do is that we bring about a change of heart. That is our ultimate desire for change in people. But that's not our only desire. And some of us get stuck. We think that the only thing we're there to do is to change hearts. No, that's the ultimate thing we're there to do is that the hearts of people are changed, but boy, we may need to see some systems changed. We may need to see some justice happen differently. We may need to see some mercy that, that, that actually is, is, is unleashed on a community. But ultimately, Jesus is who we want them to have. And so he comes in, and let's look at these treacherous expectations. The disciples Turn to John 12, 16, just real quick. John 12, 16. And it tells you. John, I love it. He is just straight honest. John says, we didn't understand. 
John's gospel talking about the triumphal entry. Let me read ahead just for a moment. The next day, verse 12, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And then we jump down and it says in verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, resurrected, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So first is the disciples. What was their response? Clueless. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. All this was happening, all the hoopla, all the Hosanna shouting, and they were like, and they might have been rejoicing as well, our king has come, but he said they didn't understand. Even if they were participating in it, even if they were screaming Hosanna, listen to this, they didn't understand what they were screaming about. I'm going to tell you right now, not everybody sitting next to you in a worship gathering knows what they're singing about or is experiencing what they're shouting about, or is living what they're proclaiming. Sometimes we don't understand. And he says here they didn't understand. That's the disciples. But they would later understand as Jesus would reveal who he is. Second group, the crowds. They wanted to deliver. They were shouting, Hosanna, which means save. Save us from these evil ones. Save us from everyone else. Save us, save us. But they weren't talking about save us because I'm evil. And so that crowd that wanted saving from the oppressor when it didn't happen and when ultimately Jesus would prove himself to be something different and when it seemed like he was being overcome by the Roman authorities, it's like, ah, he ain't the one. He didn't do what I wanted him to do. He's not the one. And then it turned into get rid of him, get rid of this dude, crucify him. And I'm going, how many times in our own lives, when God doesn't do what we want, we go, I'm tired of you, Lord, you're doing that. I thought you would do that, and you didn't do this. And you walk around mad at God because he didn't fulfill your agenda, not understanding that he was on God's agenda from the beginning and that what he was doing was beyond you and beyond me, but he was working out a plan that would actually benefit you and me. And so we see it here. The crowds, they wanted something different than what God was intending. And then thirdly, the Pharisees. Just real quick, let me back up for a moment. Understand when they said, who is this? They talked about Jesus as a prophet. They missed it. Jesus wasn't just a prophet. You just shouted out a chant and a proclamation of, 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 of messianic thought. And all of a sudden, he's just a prophet? They missed it. He wasn't God in flesh. He wasn't the Messiah. He was, he was someone that could demonstrate power and meet our needs for the moment. And he was not someone that would change us for a lifetime. And then lastly, the Pharisees. Boy, they cracked me up because this is the part. Here's where we need to be careful. Here was a group that should have known the most and knew the least. 
Here was the group that had all the scriptures, had all the verses, carried it around on their heads. Here was the one that quoted and prayed. Here was the ones that were talking about how they knew God and, 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 and all this, and they hated him. The haterade was flowing deep. The jealousy was on deep. They hated him. They talked about in one of the Gospels, look, the whole world is going after him. To which it, the response should have been, great. Or they said, hey, talk to your disciples, man. Talk to the people because if they keep this up, the Romans are going to think that it's some sort of riot because it had the whole city in the uproar. Understand now, Jerusalem had swelled in its number because people had gathered for the Passover. And they came in, and so it was now, it could be four to five times the size it normally is. And so you had this whole crowd stirred up, and you know the Romans were over there giving them the side eye, like, all right, y'all go ahead and let this continue on a little bit more. It's going to get too right up in here. We're going to have to break this up. And they were concerned. The Romans are going to come in, and they're going to take our stuff. Take your stuff. Dude, if you had just read your scriptures, you would have known that what he was doing was greater than your stuff. But also, Jesus was messing up their gig because they had the people duped. They had the people thinking that they were something that they weren't. They had the people to where they thought they were so spiritual and holy that they could take their money. <coughs> Still happening today. They had, they, had, they, had, they, they, they had people so hyped up. They had people so on to them and thinking that they were all they needed, that they could say what they want. They had twisted, as we saw last week, they had twisted the law. They had made provisions to, to, um, for it to benefit them and them only. They were parading their little selves around like they were important. And they had everything to lose with Jesus showing up. And so you see the response of the crowd. And now with the response of the crowd, Jesus comes up and he says, look, I'm here giving you a glimpse. So when you look back on this, you realize who I am. Let me ask you this question. Which group do you find yourselves identifying with? Are you the disciples and you are clueless? I, I, wow, I'm, I'm joining in. But ultimately, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't get the point. I don't see it, Lord. Help me. Are you the crowds? Here's what I want you to do for me, Jesus. And if you don't do for, if you don't do for me, I'm going to turn on you. If you don't do for me, I'm out. If you don't do for me, I'm gone, Jesus. Or are you those Pharisees, those religious folk? You know the Bible. But boy... The, the change that's coming is messing up what I'm getting. It's, and God, if things change, it's going to mess me up. It's not going to benefit me. It's going to hurt. I'm going to lose some stuff, God, if this thing happens like that. Bottom line is, which group do you identify with? But I'm going to give you something last, and we're going to end with this one. Turn to Luke 19, 41 through 44, and just read that real quick. Here's the point. What they didn't realize is that Jerusalem was missing its opportunity. When you look at that Luke scripture, look at what happened. Jesus cried over Jerusalem for this. It 
it says, and when he drew near and saw the city. Now understand, as Jesus approached, Matthew was backing up in his story. After he shares the triumphant entry, he now, he actually backs up and says, and when he drew near, now Jesus had already been, so did he come out and go back in? No, he's gone back in this thought and says, here's what happened as Jesus drew near. When he drew near to Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And as he wept, and that means to cry bitterly. It wasn't just a little tear dropped down from his eyes. When someone says he wept, we would say today he was bawling. He cried over the city as he looked, that he knew that he was coming to die for. But he says to them, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. What was making for peace? The entrance of the king because he was going to die. He says, but now, here's the sad part, they are hidden from your eyes. Don't take for granted that you just going to open the word of God and you're going to always see what God wants you to see. If God is speaking to you and you are hardening your heart and you are, you are, you, you are not listening to his word, don't take for granted that you're always going to understand what God is trying to tell you. Because God is the revealer of his will in his word, and he has shown it to you. And he says to them in Jerusalem, now you won't see it. That is scary. He says it's hidden from your eyes. In other words, I won't do what needs to be done to open your eyes. I'm going to let you stay in darkness. Because you refused when your visitation came. Let's finish reading it. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. What was he talking about? He was talking about the sacking of Jerusalem, which would eventually happen in 70 A.D where the city was overrun by its enemies, it was conquered, it was tore down. And even now, in the middle of Jerusalem, you have Islamic rule with that temple sitting there. And God was like, I visited you, and you turned your back on me. My mother used to say it this way. See, you out there showing folks you're behind. That's what she would say. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You turned your back. That's exactly what we did. That's exactly what they did with Jesus. God said, I visited you. And you were like, whatever. And God says, don't take for granted that we're always going to rebound. He says, when I visit, let me in. When I come, receive me. When I reveal, accept it. Why? Because he says, I'm visiting you, and I may not always visit you. Don't take for granted. Jesus is going to visit next week too, y'all, so I can just blow him off this week. So let me leave you with your question, with a question. Will you miss your opportunity, those of you who don't know Christ, will you miss your opportunity for salvation because of your wrong view of Jesus? Or will you miss what God is wanting to do in your life? Because of your wrong view of Jesus, because you mad at him, because he didn't do what you wanted him to do? 
man's desires and expectations got in the way of them uh, of them seeing who Jesus came I mean who Jesus is and what he came to do. Let me say that again. Man's desires and expectations got in the way of them seeing who Jesus is and what he came to do. The Jesus we create will disappoint us and we will turn on him. I'm going to say that again. The Jesus we create will disappoint us. The genie that you're creating that's not Jesus, he will disappoint you. The concierge Jesus that you're creating, he will disappoint you. The bellhop I call, he answers, he will disappoint you. I heard Tripoli actually say this. He was speaking here at a conference last week, and my wife and I had a chance to, to, to actually go down in here, and he talked about faith. Faith is not giving God an assignment and holding him accountable to complete it. I was like, yo, you just, I, I write that down. I was like, faith is not giving God an assignment and then holding him accountable to do it. Faith is holding God at his word and trusting his character and believing that he will say and do what he said he will do. And I'll say it again, ultimately, they didn't want a king that would change them. They wanted a king that would change everything else but them. And my question to you is, are we going to have a triumphal entry or, 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 or are we going to stay stuck in treacherous expectations? Which one? Our future may very much depend on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that on this day, yes, it was triumphant. Yes, you came in victory. 